welcome Hoosier fans to another victorious episode of the Assembly Call as tonight we rewatched your number five seed Indiana Hoosiers defeat the number 10 seed Kent State Golden Flashes 81 to 69 to advance to the final four. For the first time since 1992, the Hoosiers will face Oklahoma and Hollis Price in Atlanta next Saturday night after the number two seed Sooners defeated the 12th seeded Missouri Tigers earlier tonight. Holy smokes, going back to the final four here. You want a few numbers to make you feel even better? This was Indiana's 11th Elite Eight game. The Hoosiers are now 8-3 and three all-time in the Elite Eight. And as we look ahead, Indiana 5-2 and two all-time in the Final Four. And as we know, when the Hoosiers reach the NCAA Championship game, they always take care of business, holding a 5-0 and all-time mark in the National Championship game. But I know that I'm getting ahead of myself. You'll have to excuse me. Just a little bit excited. It's been a while since we've been back to the Final Four. Uh, and I just want to get through this post-game show so that I can go join everybody down on Kirkwood for what I'm sure is an epic celebration. Ladies and gentlemen, for the first time since Calbert and Greg and Allen and Damon and Eric were wearing the cream and crimson, Indiana going back to the Final Four where we belong. And the Hoosiers did it tonight by delivering one of the greatest shooting performances in school history, both by the numbers and certainly based on the stakes. And we are going to break it all down for you on this edition of the Assembly Call IU Post Game Show. I'm Jared Morris. I'm here with Scott Caulfield and Chris Williams. They were both at the game tonight, and they're going to be joining us here in just a few minutes to give their takeaways from the game. But let's start this show the way that we start every show, and that is with our Hoosier Proud banner moment. You know, And in a game where you make 15 three-pointers and you have so many runs like Indiana did, there's so many ways that you could go with this, but I'm going to go back to the second half, late in the second half. And you'll recall, you know, Indiana built a 20-point lead in the second half. You know, Fife, Hornsby, Fife, knocking down three-pointers. But credit to Kent State. You know, every time Indiana would push the lead out to 16 or 18 or 20, Kent State would just keep coming back. You know, they didn't shoot very well tonight, maybe didn't play as well as they wanted to, but they sure played tough, and they wouldn't go away. And, you know, this time, Indiana gets that 20-point lead. Coverdale goes out hurt, and we'll talk about that because, goodness gracious, that is worrisome. But Kent State charges back. They go on a 9-0 run, led a lot by Antonio Gates, who is just a tremendous athlete and really, really played well for Kent State tonight. And so we're sitting there. It's a 59-52 game, and all of a sudden, with about six and a half minutes to go, you can feel Kent State's crowd getting into it, their players starting to build confidence, and Indiana gets the ball on offense and looks like they don't know what to do. Hoosiers are passing it around. No one really wants to take charge. Doesn't seem like anybody wants the ball. Eventually, the ball gets swung around to Dane Fife. And what was interesting is right on the possession before when Antonio Gates is shooting free throws, Fife was going around to everybody and you could see clapping and you know saying let's go, trying to get everybody going because he could tell that this was a, a big moment. So the ball gets swung around him. And as we know, you know, Dane has not been a guy who's always been ready for the big offensive moments throughout his career. But this season as a senior has really emerged as a more confident offensive player. And this was his moment to shine, and he stepped up and drained it. It was a huge shot. It was Indiana's 15th three-pointer of the game. So the last three-pointer that they would make, it stopped some of that Kent State momentum. And again, in a possession where nothing was going well, they needed someone to step up. It was Dane Fife. Not a guy that we usually think of for stepping up offensively. But tonight, he leads Indiana with 17 points, 5 of 6 from downtown, and it wasn't just offense. You know, his effort and toughness on defense were really important. And the story of this game is going to be Indiana making 15 three-pointers, but it was another really solid defensive performance from one of the nation's best defensive teams. And 
you know, all night long. Dane Fife was there, keying it, making big plays, none bigger than that three-pointer that extended the lead back out to 10, and really it felt like gave Indiana the momentum they needed down the stretch to seal this victory, win their Elite Eight game, and go to the Final Four. Great performance from Dane Fife. All right, our banner moment, as always, brought to you by our friends at Home Field Apparel. Now look, you may not have ever heard of Home Field Apparel, and that's fine. It's only the year 2002, and Home Field isn't even going to be founded for another 16 years. But in marketing and sales, this is what we call planting the seeds. So when 15-year-old Connor Hitchcock reached out to me earlier this week about running some ads for the apparel company he's planning to found when he graduates IU, I was like, yeah, that's a great idea. You know, reach people when they're experiencing an emotional high, like their favorite team making 15 three-pointers in an Elite Eight game, and you'll attach positive feelings to the brand for decades to come. So here's what to look out for. In the year 2018, you're going to start hearing about a company called Home Field Apparel. They're going to claim that they have the most comfortable t-shirts and hoodies available anywhere, and they're going to be right about that. And they're also going to have old IU logos and brand marks that haven't been seen in decades. For example, they're going to bring the bison back. Yeah, did you even know that Indiana once had a bison logo? I'm telling you, it's going to be incredible. You'll be wondering why there wasn't a company like Home Field Apparel all along, which is a valid question. But they do eventually show up, and they want to reward Assembly Call listeners for keeping them in mind for almost two decades between now and then. So they're offering a discount. Write this down somewhere. Use the promo code ASSEMBLY20, and you will get 20% off your entire order. That's ASSEMBLY20 for 20% off your entire order. Again, the name is Home Field Apparel. Don't forget it. Start saving up now because you're going to want to order a lot of stuff. All right. Well, it is time to move the ball, find the open man, and get some opening thoughts from the rest of our team. I hope that they're outside of the arena and that we can actually hear them. Uh, let's go to Chris Williams first. Chris, your thoughts on this Indiana victory? Well, I'm a freshman at IU right now, and so this is, uh, you know, this is what my parents, who were at IU in the '76 season, and my aunt, who was at IU during the '81 season, I'm finally feeling what they had talked about and the experience and the emotion of reaching a final four. Uh, I was at the game Thursday night against Duke. Um, I lost my voice. So I'm just now getting it back. But again, it's probably going to fade out because uh, I was screaming my head off. My sister and I were sitting uh, at, together at the game. My parents were at the game as well. Um, it's overwhelmingly uh, emotional right now. Um, I didn't, I didn't know how we would come out. Uh, after that emotional win against Duke, I was concerned we would come out flat and kind of let this uh, Kent State team uh, get ahead of us. And, um, you know, when Fife hit that first three, I was thinking, okay, this is, uh, this is, this could be a good night because I know Fife was uh, especially upset after we lost last year to Kent State uh, in an upset. Uh, and unfortunately uh, saw the end of, of Kirk Hastings career last year, kind of in that way, it was kind of a sad thing, but uh, I'm still shaking right now, still overwhelmingly emotional. Uh, it's going to be a while for me. I hope I can get back in time to go down to Kirkwood and uh, <laughs> and, uh, and and go to Nick's and eat some eat some of that pizza at the English Hut that I keep hearing Dick Enberg refer to on the broadcast. So I heard about that. So, yeah. All right, let's go over to Scott Caulfield. Scott, your thoughts on Indiana's victory? I mean, I really wish we would have pushed the ball inside more um, and not taken so many threes. I mean, Jared just, you know, he needs to get more touches. Dude, what am I talking about? Final four! Final four! Ten years! Suck on it, Emberg. I know it's been a long time. This is awesome. I was at this game. Uh, I flew back from Houston just a couple days ago. Uh, my dad and I, just a quick story, my dad and I started going to basketball games together in 1986. Um, and then... 
the first time we ever went to a tournament game together was last year because it was the first time in a while IU was a protected seed. We're a four seed. We flew all the way out to San Diego. We get there. It was the first game of the session. We lose to Kent State. That sucks. We stayed around for a little bit of the second game. We're there on Saturday and on Sunday. We end up getting a flight back earlier, flying TWA. Great airline. I mean, that thing's that thing is going to stand the test of time. A hundred percent sure. Their hub in St. Louis just fantastic, um, and it sucked. So um, I'm in Houston now teaching, and um, I wasn't able to make it down for the game against Duke. But when they won. Um, I called up my dad. He had a ticket, and he and I went to the game, and it's like revenge against Kent State. I mean, you know, this game was awesome. I remember having a moment in the second half thinking it's almost this weird thought. It's like all I've wanted for so long is to go back to the Final Four. I remember going to – grew up in Bloomington. I remember going down to Aristotle's, which turns into TIS and then TIS music, and now it's like, I don't know, a Chinese place or something. Oh, I mean, it might be. Sorry. I mean, I, I'm assuming it'll still be Aristotle's tomorrow. Um, but at some point, I just feel like maybe that business won't stay in business. I remember going down there like in, you know, high school in like 96, 95 and seeing them have, you know, clearance stuff from the 92 Final Four and thinking like, God, when am I going to get to buy my own Final Four stuff? And then in this this game, I had that moment thinking like, oh, my God, it's actually going to happen. And almost this weird like. I'm not even sure, like in a weird way, like I don't know if I want it to happen because like what if I like if we win a title, like now I've kind of gotten the only thing that I've wanted for so long. Um, but then I thought like, oh my God, I don't want to I don't want to sit here and watch lose a game. And then we came back. I mean, we can dig into the numbers, dig into the game, but my God, what what a game. So much great shooting. Um, you know, and I mean, th- this is I I think back to it's almost like last week I was thinking about the IU LSU game. Um, where we played Shaquille O'Neal, and we had the worst start to that game, where it's like I would have restarted my Super Nintendo game of, you know, NBA, uh, NBA, you know, the Blazers versus the Bulls. Um, but this is like the complete opposite. Like this could, you could not have started a better game this way. Um, my gosh, just awesome. And Chris, good to see you at the game, man. Thanks for the beer. <laughs> It it was awesome, and there are so many different angles and ways that we can take it, but I think we've got to start with Tom Coverdale. Because while Dane Fife had the biggest play of the game and, you know, was named the player of the game uh, by the broadcast, to me, what Tom Coverdale did in the first half was just unbelievable. And it's always it's easy to sometimes forget, you know, what guys do in in the first half, especially if maybe they don't play a lot in the second half or they don't do as much in the second half. But Tom Coverdale, and this is not hyperbole at all, had one of the best first half performances or performances in a half by a guard in an NCAA tournament game uh, in, in IU history. I mean, he was awesome. He had a stretch in the first half where he scored 10 straight points all by himself. I think he had five assists in the first half, no turnovers. And I thought that, especially early, his just dogged desire to push the ball and be aggressive and get into the teeth of the defense was so big because not only did it force Kent State's defense to collapse and he was able to find Fife and he was able to find uh, Hornsby for three-pointers, but then at other times, he would just drive right down the lane and score because when that big burly body gets going, as we know, it's hard to stop. And so I thought he was fantastic in the first half and was such a big reason why Indiana was so good offensively But his injury in the second half is going to be the black cloud that lingers over this game. And I know we're all ecstatic and we're going to the Final Four and all that stuff, and we should feel that way. But I'm concerned about what this team is going to be able to do now that we're there if Coverdale can't play at all. Because I think we all love Donald Perry's potential. I don't think he's ready to be your lead guard, lead ball handler in a Final Four type situation. So, you know, Scott, as you, you know, obviously we can probably spend some more time later kind of 
you know, talking about the bad stuff and Coverdale's injury, but I wanted to at least acknowledge it off the top because obviously it's not even in the back of our mind. It's in the front of our minds. But let's at least talk about his play first because I thought this was as good as we've seen Tom Coverdale play in the first half of this game. No, he looked awesome. I, I remember two years ago with my wife, we we were, you know, going to games and it's like you would chant to get Coverdale in the game. Like he was the guy who you would cheer when when Knight put Coverdale in. It's yeah. like, oh, because now we got the game in hand because he was the last guy on the bench. So to see him turn into this is really amazing. And, you know, everything you said is true. I'll, I'll, I'll take it kind of the other angle. You saw how important he was when he wasn't there, right when he goes out. You know, the first like four plays after that, like Donald Perry looked like an absolute mess. I mean, he just looked like a mess. He came out there, got double teamed. We had a, um, you know, Dane Fife had a bad play. Then we had a 10 second violation. Then we had a backcourt. I mean, it was just like four straight turnovers. Um, so, but you, so you saw how important he was when he was out. But I would just say the whole backcourt was fantastic. I mean, you mentioned, you know, Dane Fife. We were expecting that shooting. I mean, you know, you, you do have to remember Dane Fife, you know, took 143s this year and hit 47%. He was 30 or 14th in the country in three point shooting percentage. And that's on a pretty good sample size. Um, and then, you know, Kyle Hornsby hit winning 44% on 161 threes. But, you know, Hornsby, uh, four for five from three. Uh, Dane five, five from six. And these aren't numbers you'd expect at everybody, but they were great. And then, you know, I, I will give it to Hornsby too. In that second half, when Coverdale went out, the only time that Kent State made a real push, you had Hornsby dive to save the ball on a bad Jared Jeffries pass to give it to Dane Fife. Newton blocks, Hornsby comes back, hits a long two, and then that's the closest that Kent State ever got. So really, I mean, I I'm with you on Coverdale's fantastic, but I think the entire backcourt was awesome, which is, I mean, for us to be up by 20 and the entire game, Jared Jeffries has 10 points, like the backcourt has to be awesome. Like there's no other way around it. Yeah, it's funny, you know, we're 14 minutes into the show and we finally, you know, really mentioned Kyle Hornsby and he had 16.7 assists and went four for five from downtown. You know, it was that kind of offensive game where so much happened that that guy gets like third billing. But you're right. The three that he hit in the second half, was, I mean, you know, he hit many threes, but that one that he hit that kind of killed a Kent State run, you know, that, that was kind of the theme of the game, Chris. And, and I'm curious kind of how it felt in the arena. Indiana would have these, you know, look, Indiana started out great. They make the, their first what, eight or nine threes of the game. But even before the first TV timeout, Indiana hit five threes. They're up 15 to five. And essentially that lead is what they nursed for the rest of the game. You know, they would push it up to 20 and then Kent State would battle back and Indiana would push it back up and Kent State would battle back. And I feel like if this game had gone for 120 minutes, you would have just seen the same thing. But Indiana probably wins by 10. You know, it was like it was just written in the stars tonight. How did it feel in the arena? Did it feel like there were just kind of these massive swings of momentum? Because that's certainly how it felt watching it on TV. It, it did. Um, you know, Gates was really kind of beating us up down low. He went for 22 points. And I think that, you know, coming in, the target really was was Trevor Huffman. You know, he had 17 against Pitt. He has 20 against Alabama. He's held to eight tonight. Um, Don't talk trash that, to Dane Fife, Trevor Huffman. Right. I, I thought the defense on <laughs> Huffman was tremendous. But, yeah, early on, I mean, the feeling was when we were up by 20 at one point, my feeling was okay. We we need to just we need to just put it right there, right to their throats. And I think that we kind of let up on the gas a couple times. Um, and I don't think the rotation adjustments were too bad with that. I mean, you know, we've already mentioned uh, Donald Perry. He plays 17 minutes, only has one turnover, but he doesn't look when he was out there. And, and when Kent State started trapping, there was some concern um, because the turnovers kept kept racking up. And I, my big concern coming into this game was. We had 23 turnovers against Duke, 
and we had 15 tonight, um, we got to clean that up against Oklahoma. Uh, we we got to clean that up. And that was my concern. The fact that we, we got out of that Duke win with 23 turnovers is, it was amazing, but the crowd was, was energetic. I mean, we knew what was on the line, everybody there. It was a huge Indiana crowd. And there was a lot of Kent state fans. You're talking about a regional matchup here. Um, you know, and, but it was, it was overwhelming. It was, uh, the, the, the crowd really got the players back on track. I think when, uh, we kind of let, let things slip, I was really concerned and I was going berserk at, you know, we're about the six thirty mark. We're down by seven or we're up by seven, excuse me. And then five comes down and hits a three to put us, puts us up back up at 10. That to me was the big dagger because, you know, when Coverdale goes out, they go on 11 0 run. And we're like, oh my gosh, you know, are we going to really have to put this all on Donald Perry from here on out? And I think, uh, you, you know, we need Coverdale against Oklahoma because, you know, we cannot expect Perry to be playing 30 minutes in the game. It's just not reasonable for him. And you can, you know, the game plan going in with Oklahoma is going to be if Perry has to play a lot. We saw that, you know, his free throw, you know, he had the most free throw attempts of anybody on the team. Tonight, he only hit four out of 10. So yeah. that's a liability on the floor. So uh, the crowd the crowd really, I think, willed the team to win in a lot of ways. But the shooting did it more than anything. I mean, when you hit 15 out of 19 threes, you're going to win a lot of ball games, especially when the other team only hits two out of 14. That's just the way it's going to be. You know, and Scott, I think we need to you know mention here, before we get out of the first segment, we got to give a tip of the cap to Mike Davis. I mean, we are now, you know, two years removed from Mike Davis taking over for Bob Knight, obviously in one of the most fraught situations that a coach has ever stepped into, especially a first time head coach at the college level like Mike Davis. And here in his second season, you know, Indiana, you know, wins a share of the Big Ten title in the regular season. He's got the fifth best defense uh, in the country and the 26th best offense. And, you know, I again... You know, I feel like tonight the story coming out of this game is going to be the offense, and rightfully so when you go 15 of 19. But defensively, I just thought Indiana was rock solid for most of the night. You know, Gates had his moments, obviously. That guy's an elite athlete. He clearly has a future as a professional athlete somewhere in some sport. But for the most part, we saw the really connected team defense, the tough defense from Indiana that we, that we want to see. And I thought Indiana's game plan was good. I mean, Indiana basically spread them out. And, you know, obviously it's been a transition for all of us to watch more set plays after three decades of the motion offense. But, you know, it worked, especially when Coverdale was out there. And I thought Indiana really, you know, just, you know, I just thought, you know, even with some of the bench guys struggling, the the some of the rotation decisions and just the plays that Davis called, I just, again, for a guy, you know, in his second year taking over a really tough spot to have this team in the Final Four, I mean you know, it's just, it's kind of mind boggling that we're in the spot. <laughs> you know, I don't think any of us thought that we would be here, you know, 18 months ago. No, no. I mean, you know, he had a, a really good moment in the end of the first half. Um, it got to 34 to 20, uh, which is still 14 point lead, but Kent state had a little four point run or a six Oh run. He calls timeout and it kind of quells it. And then we, we kind of get back into our rhythm. And so he, he had a great time out there. No, and he's been a calming influence and, you know, this game was an ultimate trap game. I mean, this this game also kind of reminded me of, you know, it was only about 20 years ago from this point where you had the 1980, you know, USA Olympic team where they beat Russia. Everyone forgets, like, that was the bronze, that was not the gold medal game. Like, USA still had to go out and beat Finland. Um, 
enough so like literally I was thinking it was uh, I think it was Norway but I got on my computer AOL.com is great CBS had some ads for him today check it out it's a great website um, I went to there went to HTTP colon backslash backslash AOL.com slash hockey stats stats dot HTML and realized it was Finland that the USA played but no I mean that that is like a coach you need to get the game up for this because if we beat Duke and then lose to Kent State it's still like hey that was a fun run but you almost feel like you left a little bit on the table. I mean, you know, Chris and I were there. A lot of fans were there, and we all felt like this was our chance to get to a Final Four. Like, everything kind of lined up for us. But, no, he's been well, – uh, well, To that point, though, Scott, to that point, maybe that's why it was a blessing to play Kent State, who had beaten us the year yeah. before, <laughs> you know, to yeah, make no, sure like that the, there the was no let down. Lined up. Yeah. yeah but, I mean, and you, you saw, knew, you knew Fife was going to be ready to go after what Huffman, you know, said about he and his dad. So, you know, yeah. you, you had you, him. You saw in defense – what Davis had them doing. I mean, early on, they were switching everything, which was a great idea. And you had moments where Fife was guarding Antonio Gates and he stopped him, um, you know, enough so that I have a feeling Antonio Gates is like, dude, I just can't play basketball anymore. And he might play another sport. I don't know, but I think Fife might've scared him out of basketball for a while, but you know, I mean, saw an offense too. Like it was a little, it's different than what we saw under night, but th- this, this kind of, you know, three and D, I don't even know if that's a saying or anything, but kind of just spreading the court, having shooters surrounding kind of one big man in the middle. I mean, it's definitely something I don't think it can work in the pros. Like, I definitely don't think you can win in the pros by shooting a bunch of threes. Like, there's no way a team is no. going to put a bunch of shooters out there and you're not going to have big guys where you're six, nine and seven foot shooting threes in the NBA. Don't be crazy. But for here in college, I think it can definitely work. But no, you, you see Davis kind of leaning into what this team has. He has a lot of good shooters, a lot of interchangeable parts on defense, and he, he's letting he's playing to their strengths. Yeah, no, he definitely is. Okay, uh, coming up as we continue our breakdown of Indiana's victory over Kent State. Ladies and gentlemen, we're going to the Final Four. I will point out the meaningful moments that you might have missed, then we will go inside the numbers to highlight the most important statistical notes from this game. You are listening to the Assembly Call. Stick with us. Schools, families, and government leaders are finally on alert over teen vaping. But before we can solve it, we need to understand it. One, the draw is flavors. 97% of kids who vape use flavors. Two, kids often don't know they're vaping nicotine, let alone a concentrated formula. Three, nicotine's addictive, and it's also a neurotoxin that can increase teen anxiety. Nicotine is brain poison, and flavor is the hook. Do something at flavorshookkids.org. Sticky notes, email alerts, a string around your finger. They're just not big enough. So here's a big reminder from the California Lottery. The Mega Millions jackpot is over $250 million. Whew. Play now. Please play responsibly. Must be 18 years or older to purchase player five. What's going on? It's Christian Wofford. What's the only thing better than an epic buzzer beater? Celebrating it with friends afterwards. Join my guys, Jared, Andy, Ryan, and Coach on the assembly call after every IU game. Go Hoosiers. I don't know who this Christian Watford is and what epic butter buzzer beater kids, he's man, talking Jared, about. But seven-year-old. It sounds awesome. What are you doing? <laughs> it sounds awesome. Uh, you're listening to the assembly call IU postgame show. I'm Jared Morris. I'm here with Chris Williams from IU Artifacts and Scott Caulfield from Crimson Cast. We are breaking down Indiana's Elite Eight victory over Kent State. Guys, it's time for tonight's meaningful moment that you might have missed. And, you know, we are one game removed from Jared Jeffries delivering one of the best performances of his career against Duke. He was fantastic. And, you know, he didn't need to be the lead dog tonight. He's obviously been Indiana's best player all year long. 
But, you know, when you had Fife shooting like he was and Hornsby shooting like he was and Tom Coverdale just being the engine of the offense like he was, you know, this was not a night for Jared Jeffries to shine. And his numbers were relatively muted. I think he had 10.7 rebounds. You know, just didn't get a lot of touches on offense, frankly. But, boy, a couple of the plays that he made were huge. So you remember the banner moment that I talked about with Fife making that three. Jeffries would come back and make one a couple of possessions later. But I thought, actually, the single best individual sequence of any player was uh, in the second half. Uh, and I'm trying to remember, it, it's the, it, was, it was at the 526 mark of the second half. So it was you know right after the, kind of that last big run that Kent State had made and after Fife's three-pointer, Jeffries gets the ball inside and he gets blocked. You know, and a lot of times when that happens to a big guy, you kind of see him run, run down the court a little bit slow, slow to get back on defense. He turns around and hustles back on defense. And I don't know if it was Gates. I think it was somebody else had a little like reverse. He went down the baseline on the left side, tried to go up on the right side, and Jeffries blocks the shot. That's how quickly he got back down there. Then he hustles the other way and gets a dunk, and it put Indiana up 12. And, you know, even though Kent State would obviously keep playing, that felt like the kind of play that just kind of sucked the life out of him. Because it's like Fife's doing all this stuff and Hornsby's doing all this stuff. And, oh, yeah, there's a lottery pick out there that can just make incredibly athletic plays. And he plays hard. And he has a high basketball IQ. So it's almost like Jared Jeffries kind of reminding everybody, hey, don't forget who the best player on the court is. You know, because he didn't have the numbers, but he's still Jared Jeffries. And, Chris, that to me, I mean, you just you saw in that stretch, what makes Jared Jeffrey special is that he's got all the physical gifts, but man, he just, at the end of the day, he's a smart basketball player who plays hard, you know, and I loved seeing that from him. And it's why he's become just such a, such a popular Indiana player. Well, Jared's only a year older than me. And, uh, when we were both in middle school at Tri-North middle school here in Bloomington, I was on the seventh grade team and he was on the eighth grade team. And when we did, eight, seven versus eight, I had the luxury of having to guard Jared Jeffries in middle school and talk about a guy who had a skill set back then when he was only six feet tall. Uh, you got to remember this kid in high school, he didn't play his freshman year when I won the, or when, uh, North won the title in 97. And then he grows like six inches his soft, you know, the summer before his sophomore year and he explodes on the scene and he has this tremendous gift of being six foot 10 but having the skills as a guard. When he was a senior in high school, when he took North to the state title game against Zach Randolph from Michigan State, um, he brought the ball up the floor the majority of the time. He was a guard in a six foot ten body, and we saw that on on the on display here with his ability to step out and shoot. But his defensive intelligence is unbelievable. His ability to know where to be at the right time defensively uh, is remarkable. And he, you know, he to to what you said. He was at the right place at the right time, time after time after time again. And he, he made the defensive stops, which was needed, because I was wondering throughout this game how Kent State, Kent State was going to adjust with a more – a bigger size, uh, you know, interior play of Indiana because, uh, you know, Antonio Gates is, is tremendously gifted, but um, could he handle the size inside, whether it was Newton, whether it was, whether it was Odell, whether it was Jeffries. But – uh, Jeffries really, in a lot of ways, was a was a game was a playmaker, even when he didn't have to be an offensive threat. Yeah, Scott, what were your thoughts on Jared's performance tonight? 
No, it's funny. You you hit the exact moment that I was I was kind of lining up for the moment you might have missed, and that was the one that you know Jeffries made the block, ran the court, and then you know made the dunk. I mean that, and that showed you know he was still very active defensively. He didn't have a great game. You know his first couple touches got to go up here. Like he's off to I even wrote down he was off to a rough start. Like had a turnover, a travel, another bad pass, a bad pass to him. They threw out of bounds. Like he just he started off rough and never really he didn't have a kind of a game where he took things over offensively he wasn't getting a lot of touches they didn't need to get it to him but to your point like he always stayed connected um and he always stayed active throughout the game and he was he was great defensively um and then offensively when he needed to he he stepped up yeah i mean he played 39 minutes you know so even if he wasn't yeah. always at the center of the action offensively he was kind of the rock that was out there for indiana now the four turnovers are a little bit of a concern and that's obviously something that i think in in you know he's going to be asked to carry a heavier offensive load i think in other games um so he, you know, he's going to have to clean up those turnovers but overall it was i mean you know uh, just a good game for him you know and the other play that i wanted to point out which goes all the way back to the first half you know, and, and again, it can sometimes be hard to remember what happens early in a game. But again, Indiana built their 10-point lead before the first media timeout and essentially just nursed that lead for the rest of the game. And I thought there was one play early that was just really indicative of what kind of night it was going to be for Indiana and started on the defensive end. You know, it was clearly very important for Dane Fife to play his physical, annoying style of defense. And, you know, when he was matched up on Antonio Gates, which he was, uh, you know, early really didn't want to let him catch the ball down low because that's the thing with Gates. You know, he's not an incredibly skilled shooter, but he, he's got that big body and he is skilled around the basket. And if he gets position on you, even though he's a little bit undersized, you know, for a big man, it's going to be difficult. And so let's play. I think it's like the 1550 mark of the first half. Fife's bodying him up, not letting him get the ball down low. He pokes the ball out. Hornsby grabs it to get it for a steal. They get it to Coverdale and Coverdale immediately gets it and goes. You know, we've seen some point guards in Indiana history. We've seen it before Tom Coverdale. I'm almost positive we will see it after Tom Coverdale. Point guards that just aren't quite as assertive, you know, and the coach has to tell him to push the ball up. With Coverdale, man, you do not have to do that. That is one thing. He is aggressive and confident, and he just got it and and went, and he's aggressive. He drives in. The defense collapses. He kicks it out to Kyle Hornsby, who's running the floor. Boom, it's 15-4. to four. Indiana's 5-5 five of five from downtown. And, you know, Chris, that right there, just that little stretch was what kind of night, certainly what kind of first half it was for Indiana. But really, I thought that kind of went the whole night where they just played tough physical team defense. And offensively, they got it out when the offense was going well. You know, they penetrated, they drew the defense. And, you know, either the guy who was penetrating had a lane to the basket and he would keep going or we would kick it out and find the open man. I mean, it was just that over and over all night long. Yeah, they spread the floor really well, and the inside-outside game was definitely working because there were times when, whether it was dumping down at Odell or Jeffries, and they would collapse on them. It, it, it was not a good game plan for Kent State to last to try to do that throughout the game because once Indiana's kept hitting them, you know, they went eight for eight, you could see Heath was just kind of struggling because their whole game plan had been completely thrown out the window. Um, 15 I for 19 from three will do that to you. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> It's interesting, you know, their two best players played every minute of the game, Trevor Huffman and Antonio Gates. And you could really see toward the end, they had nothing left. Um, and that was a big yeah. indicator because the shots were not falling. Uh, the threes were not falling the way they had been in previous games. You know, you're talking about a Kent State team that offensively um, is very similar and, and, and actually has a better offensive rating 
to Indiana. They're eighth in the country in offense, uh, total offense. So, and not a bad three-point shooting. What is team, offensive clearly, rating? Is this that stat that Galen found for us a couple weeks ago? <laughs> Nerd. Just, Back, yeah, is, it, is this yeah. what Galen found in 1998? Is that, the, is that the stat that we're talking about? Yeah, I, I looked it up through. Points, the rebounds, assists. That's all you care that, about. Yeah. Yeah. Let's just let's just keep it here. Keep it amongst ourselves. Don't let this get out. Yeah. These new advanced. This stats. could be a big money maker. Uh, <laughs> yeah. You know, you know, we don't want anybody named Ken taking taking it over for us. But I I really think you know Kent Ken State, you know they hadn't lost since January 9th. They just got worn down in Indiana. Yeah. You know the three after three that'll do it to you. But the defense and and being able to bounce back when Ken State got really close. Uh, Kent State really didn't have an answer. They didn't have an answer all night because their most prolific score in school history was held to eight points, and and you can't expect Antonio Gates to do it all. Man, it was just nice after playing from behind so much in that Sweet 16 game against Duke just to come out and assert ourselves right from the beginning. One last, God, I want to get your meaningful moments. The last one that I wanted to mention is, and this was just kind of one in passing, toward the end of the game, Jeff Newton gets in there, and he comes out of nowhere for this rebound. And I just want to say about Jeff Newton, you know, this is a guy, he's kind of developing before our eyes a little bit, you know, improving, getting more comfortable. Uh, you know, I don't know what he's going to be able to contribute in the final four. Hopefully he's able to step forward and, you know, do something in that Oklahoma game, um, especially if Coverdale can't play. But I'm not sure in my time watching Indiana basketball that I have seen a guy who is more graceful rebounding out of his area than Jeff Newton. Like he will just come out of nowhere, gliding through the air and get these rebounds. And it's like, I don't know where he came from. But that was a majestic rebound by Jeff Newton. So that was just a that, that was a good play, and hopefully it's a sign of things to come, not just in his future, but even heck, who knows by this weekend. Scott, uh, what moment stood out to you? I mean, you got to rename the segment for Newton the majestic moments you might have missed. <laughs> I mean, that's that's really good, a majestic. I, I have two moments that you might have missed. One is you know he went he 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 had his moments of struggle. We talked about Donald Perry, but I will say this: end of the game, a minute ten to go. We're only up 73-65. Kent State has gotten under that 10-minute barrier. Perry goes up and hits two free throws. He was four for 10 from the line from the game, so did not have a good shooting night from the line. But those were key free throws that got us back up by, seven, by 10, 75-65. Just wanted to give a shout-out to Donald there. But my biggest moment that you might have missed, and I think the biggest key, one of the biggest keys to this game, is how important it was for us to play in Rupp Arena. Um, not that Kentucky piece was this close to Bloomington. Chris mentioned it. Like my dad, who lives in Bloomington, he was like, "Hey, we're going down." Like this was, you know, one of the best regional sites we can get to. You look at us down the stretch this year. Some we we talked about in all the assembly calls to to wrap up the season. We finished one for four on the road in you know in the Big Ten. We lost at Minnesota. We won at Michigan, who was one of the worst teams in the Big Ten. And then we lost at Michigan State. We lost at Illinois. I mean, we really didn't have a really good quality road win all year. Maybe Iowa, but that was back February 5th. I mean, we just – most of our road games were, were losses. Um, you know, we lost at Miami. We lost at Southern Illinois. We lost a neutral game to Marquette. I guess the Texas game was neutral. Uh, but that was, you know, in November. We just didn't play well on the road this year. So to, to have basically a semi-home game – in a, in a regional final was just awesome. And, and it's funny, you know, we, we were all pissed off two weeks ago that we, you know, we won the big 10 we're co-champs, but yet Illinois and Ohio state got four seeds. We got a five seed. Um, I mean, something, something weird like that Ohio state one feels just like, it's not going to be there. And it like, it might be vacated a couple of years. I don't know. I mean, I just, mm. I, the, for now they got, they have it at least today <laughs> as we sit in 2002, but you know, 
you look at all the other regional sites, the other regional sites were San Jose, Madison, and Syracuse. Um, you know, Madison, we just play bad and probably historically are going to play bad for a while in Madison. You know, Syracuse, San Jose, like of all the regionals, this was a, a, basically a home game. Even against Duke, we had a lot of IU fans there. So I just, I think the fact that, you know, for so many years, we're always annoyed at where we're seated and how we get, you know, we always feel like we get shipped out to the West. We're a six, seven, eight seed in the West playing in Boise. It's like th- this really broke well for us, not that the teams we were playing, but playing in Rupp and basically having two semi home games because the, the one thing you say about this team is we're just not great on the road. So having, having a home game was huge for an Elite Eight game. Yeah, no, that's really well said, Scott. And that's a really important point. Chris, were there any other moments that stood out to you before we move on and talk some numbers? Just some, you know, unorthodox threes being knocked down. It was just kind of like a, a symbol of what the night was going to be about. Jared Odell's yeah. three and, and then A.J. Moye. And, you know, the chant, you know, resonating throughout the stands. I, I love hearing that. It's been kind of a it's staple awesome. all season. I hope that that continues in the future with with him and some other players because I see it kind of being a trend-setting uh, thing. But, um, you know, I, I think – AJ didn't play, you know, a ton of minutes tonight. He did have nine points, but him on the floor emotionally brings brings the team forward, and he he's going to give it all. And I think just that that nod, kind of you know transitioning from from the due game to tonight was is is going to continue to be big, and he he's going to need to be that that role player uh, moving forward. I'm glad you mentioned him because I was actually going to kick off the stat segment talking about AJ because he had he only played eight minutes tonight. Uh, but scored nine points. And he had that stretch in the first half. Indiana's up 15. Coverdale, I think, yeah, Coverdale uh, um, had scored 10 straight points for Indiana, put him up, put us up 29 to 14. Moye comes in, immediately gets a nice drive to the bucket and just goes crazy, you know, as you would expect from A.J. Moye. And then a possession later, he gets the ball over on the left wing and drains a three, and we're up by 20. And he just, and then that's when the chant is going, and he's getting into it, and you can tell everybody just feeds off of him. The players feed off of him. The fans feed off him. Everybody does. And so, you know, even though he didn't play it, and then, you know, he goes down and knocks down four straight free throws at the end of the game, you know, to, to ice it and put it away. And so, you know, his contribution, obviously, in the Duke game was much bigger. I mean, he came in for that stretch in the second half. I mean, he put Indiana on his back for a three, four-minute stretch. And then, obviously, the block, you know, and, and Indiana didn't need him to do that tonight but you saw that human spark plug capability that he has, you know, when you need kind of that little juice of energy and just some irrational confidence, you're going to get it from AJ Moye, you know, which is why he's becoming such a fan favorite. So numbers wise, I don't know what stood out to you guys, but you know, to me, you look at it, Indiana shoots 78.9% from three point range, 15 of 19, 57.1% from the free throw line, 12 of 21. I mean, I don't know if you're ever going to see a bigger disparity between three-point percentage and free-throw percentage than that. Um, but obviously... 52% the th- from the field. 50, 52% yeah. from two. I mean, that's... You know, and it's one game after... I think Indiana was, what, two for 10 in the Duke game? You know, so Kent State's yeah. philosophy of let Indiana shoot some threes might have looked okay for that game. But look, this is a 40% three-point shooting team for the season. This is one of the top 10 three-point shooting teams in the country you know, not only were we not going to only take 10 threes, you know, in a game again, probably we weren't going to only make two of them. And so it was nice. I don't know if I would say this is water finding its level because 15 of 19 is insane and unsustainable, but it was a nice bounce back from what we saw in that Duke game. Um, you know, and I, I hope every Indiana team that we watch is able to just be, 
just be competent from the three-point line, you know? If you can be amazing like this, that's great. But, you know, just be competent. That's all we ask. Um, but also, you know... Yeah, I mean, the other number, too, is if you look at Kent yeah. State's three-point shooting, I mean, two for 14. I bet if yeah. we play them 10 times, they don't they don't shoot that bad, um, you know, 10 games in a row. Yeah, although, you know, I, I definitely think you're right. I also give our defense some credit because I thought Fair. we yeah. were out. There were some good closeouts. They didn't have just a ton of wide-open ones that they were missing, but... Yeah, I mean, I agree with you. They're probably not going to shoot that badly uh, most of the time. You know, I, two guys with seven assists. Hornsby and Coverdale both with seven assists. You know, the ball was the ball was moving, and obviously it helps you get assists when guys are making shots. Um, but that's always good for this Indiana team to have more assists than turnovers because they've been a team that, that have been known, obviously, to turn the ball over. Chris, what numbers stood out to you? The rebounding thing is, is a little bit of a concern for me because yeah. we were out-rebounded by six by an undersized in-state team, and and – Oklahoma is going to give us all kinds of trouble inside and out. And that concerns me. Um, you know, I, I could potentially see a lot more Jeff Newton against Oklahoma than Jared Odell. Um, that'd be interesting. That would be interesting. Um, you know, Odell's a senior leader, but um, he is a little bit undersized compared to, to someone like, like uh, Newton. And, you know, the one thing moving forward, you got two guys on our team that are from Atlanta. Mm -hmm. And playing in Georgia, playing in their home state is going to be very emotionally charged for them. And I, I, I think, I think that's going to make a big impact for Moye and for, for Newton uh, to play in their home state in front of their families. Um, I don't think you can ask for a better uh, scenario for those two. No, no. Newton and Moye are going home to Atlanta and Indiana's going home to the final four. We're all back where we feel comfortable. So that is a, that is definitely a good thing. Um, Oh, shoot, there was one other number that I was going to mention. I forgot what it was. Scott, were there any other numbers uh, that jumped out to you? <laughs> I knew you were going to oh, take it to me. No, no, I was going to say, I know what I was going to say, Chris, is you know, you're right about the rebounding being a concern tonight, but that's you know one game after a really good rebounding performance against Duke. I mean, obviously we gave up, what, 12 or 13 offensive rebounds to them. No, uh, whatever it was. Yeah, they had 16 offensive rebounds, but we had 20 in that game, you know, and, and really dominated them overall with, you know, uh, we had 26 defensive rebounds, you know, so, I mean, really did a good job rebounding that game, but you're right tonight, you know, a little, a little bit leakier defensively. When you're hitting that many shots. Yeah. So, yeah, I certainly mean, there were going to be fewer out. offensive rebounds there to get. Sure. That's for sure. <laughs> uh, Scott numbers. Yeah, no, I was going to say, you're going to throw it to me. You guys have talked about two point shooting, three point shooting, rebounding, free throws, assists, uh, points, minutes played. So, um, not much left because in the world we live in, those are all the stats that exist. There are no other advanced <laughs> statistics. I will say there's only one other number that matters, man. Four. There's 14 going, left, baby, and we're one of them. Final four. To the final four. The other number is three, which is the number of different ways that Dick Enberg referred to Dane Fife. At one point, he called him Dana Fife. At another point, called him Dan Fife. And then occasionally, they actually referred to him as Dane Fife. That's the player of the game, sir. Let's get his name right. Come on. He also called him Hornsby once, too. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I mean, look, that's Dick Enberg. He's a legend, you know, but come on. Come you called him O.J. Moye in the Duke game and A.J. <laughs> Moy in this game. Well, it happens. IU alum, too. Come on now. He is. I know. I know. Come on. We got to get that right. I mean, Dick, you got to get it right This Nick's Nick's, like the old English hut pizza place. Like, come on, Dick. Dick, come on. You've been here. I still think we're going to make it tonight, Scott. I think we'll have time to get there, too, by the way. I, oh, I'm yeah. Confident. Order us a pizza at the pizza old English hut pizza house. Hey, last question for you guys before we move on to our last segment and hand out our game balls. I, like, I know this is going to seem crazy, 
But given Mike Davis's coaching background and some of the success that he's having and the style that he coaches, which is clearly much different than what we saw under Coach Knight, if this success continues, how much risk are we to potentially lose him to the NBA? Because I feel like those conversations are going to start the way we're playing and the success that we're having. Well, it's funny you mentioned that because I had the luxury first semester of taking his coaching of basketball course at Assembly Hall. It was coached primarily by Dan Block, his his director of basketball operations. But we had a couple times when we were out on the floor with him, uh, and and we were kind of he was kind of showing us the offense that he was running, uh, which I think is very suited for the next level in a lot of ways. But we had a Q and A session with him, and and the first question that was posed to the coach was, "What was his career aspirations?" And before the question was finished. He said NBA hmm. and he didn't even hesitate. It wasn't as if he had to think about it. He said, NBA, I want to coach in the NBA. And that was it. He didn't have to clarify. He didn't have to elaborate any further. So, uh, you know, it's possible that, you know, the quick success he's having at Indiana, uh, you know, at a program where he's doubted himself as being the right fit, um, who knows? It, it could be something where we could see if we continue to advance far farther against Oklahoma and beyond. Uh, it's hard to hard to tell what his future could be at Indiana. Hmm. And we know help is on the way. So I mean, you know, certainly it seems like the good times will keep rolling for Indiana. So I mean, Jared, what are you what are you doing, man? I'm normally the one who like you know poops on good points and kind of t- kills the mess. I mean, this is we're going to the final four. You're talking about losing our coach. No, I mean, my but God. it's a good thing. No, I'm just saying. You like know, look, about football, football, it's a good thing. Basketball, no, not but a good what thing. but what I'm saying is, you know, Mike Davis was thrust into this role. You know what I mean? And so if his aspiration is the NBA, the only way he's going to get there is by us having great success. That's what I'm saying. Look, we. Yeah. Mike Davis is doing an amazing job. Like, sign that guy to a contract extension right now based on what he's doing. Don't get me wrong. I'm just saying, I feel like I've heard some of those conversations in private. I feel like some of those conversations will start to be had. You know, and if that's the price you have to pay to go to a Final Four and have some of the success that it looks like we're going to have now, I'm just, I'm just saying. Look, you know, look where we are. We're about to go to the Final Four and we're talking about maybe losing our coach to the NBA. This is incredible. You know, it's just no, all right. It's all part of it. So well, that's all I, I've heard too. Like, I mean, I'll, I'll just say this. Like, I don't, I don't go out on a limb very often. Um, but I mean, it is 2002. We just got from the game. Chris and I are going to drive back. But there, there's a kid who's an intern at Eli Lilly named Brad Stevens. Who, I mean, like, if we lose oh, Davis, boy. I think we should probably go after this kid. Like, he just he. I, I talked to him a couple of days ago. He seems to know a little bit of basketball. Not not a great pedigree, but just just think about it. Hey, okay. hey, don't, let's not forget, you know, we have, we're facing a really good coach next game, a, a guy named Kelvin Sampson. That's true. I mean, but, but he coaches in a style that would never work at a place like Indiana. The way he does things would never work at a place like Indiana. Like isn't we on, are never going to hire somebody like that. Yeah, I mean, that is not what we do. That's not the way we roll. We don't have big heads behind the basket. We're not doing crap like yeah, that. We are just a straight basketball program with Mike Davis as our coach. Let's enjoy Coach Davis as long as we have him. Let's enjoy these wins. And if he's able to move on to the greener pastures of the NBA – you know, the Indiana job, he'll, you know, if that happens, what yeah, he will the have done. Vancouver Grizzlies. I mean, they're a great team. He can go to Vancouver, have a great time up there. I'm yeah. just saying, if that happens, what he's done kind of, because st- look, you know, what we're going to have to find out from Coach Davis is can he recruit and build his own rosters? 
Because, you know, the reality is this is a roster that was built by Coach Knight. A lot of these guys came to play for Coach Knight, and it's a shame that we're not getting to see what he could have done with them. But, you know, based on his last five or six years, there was nothing really to suggest that he would have done this, you know. And so this team really is blossoming under Coach Davis, and he's kind of stabilized things that were really rocked to their core. And so, you know, we'll see where it goes from here. But the main point in this is just, again, to tip our caps to him for doing a great job keeping this thing together and leading these guys to a place that we haven't been in a decade. Yeah. And, man, I'm glad to be going back. It is going to be so much fun. All right. uh, Coming up on the assembly call, we are going to hand out our game balls, and then we will break the fourth wall and step out of this conversation, talk about what age the best and worst from this game, try to put it into proper historical context. And just have some more fun. That's all next here on The Assembly Call. Stick with us. Sticky notes, email alerts, a string around your finger. They're just not big enough. So here's a big reminder from the California Lottery. The Mega Millions jackpot is over $250 million. Whew. Play now. Please play responsibly. Must be 18 years or older to purchase player fine. Sticky notes, email alerts, a string around your finger. They're just not big enough. So here's a big reminder from the California Lottery. The Mega Millions jackpot is over $250 million. Play now. Please play responsibly. Must be 18 years or older to purchase player fine. This is Jordan Halls, and I never miss a shot or an episode of The Assembly Call. I'm going to go out on a limb and say that if Jordan Hulls had ever had a chance to play in an Elite Eight game, that he would have shot like this, too. Would have happened. brother's yeah. a good friend of mine. I don't know how you work this in. I need to talk to Jay about that. That's you know, little... just have a sixth sense for these things. <laughs> Sketchy to me. <laughs> You're listening to the Assembly Call IU postgame show. Remember to catch us live immediately following every IU basketball game plus every Thursday night at our website, assemblycall.com. While you're there, make sure that you sign up for our free IU Hoops email newsletter. Over 7,000 of your fellow IU fans have subscribed. You can also text IU to 66866 to subscribe to the newsletter. That is IU to 66866. I'm Jared Morse here with Chris Williams from IU Artifacts and Scott Caulfield from Crimson Cast. Guys, I think we did a pretty good job for those two segments, staying in character, staying in the moment of 2002. Uh, I was all, I mean, there's no, what are we, 45 minutes past the game i was on kirkwood going crazy by now i remember as soon as the game ended we watched it at a friend's house and we just sprinted there and the place was packed just wall to wall with people so that's what i was actually doing uh, after this game but th- we did a good job saying character now we can kind of step out and try to put this into some context but let's start with game balls real quick um scott who gets your game ball for for this one because i think there's actually a lot of different directions you could go yeah, I mean, you know, the, the easy money's uncovered. I'm going to take Dane Fife because I think what he did defensively early, he played Gates hard. And then just in a simple fact, I mean, he had, he had the most points. If we're going to go by 2002 stats, you take that. But also, I mean, you know, just in the idea that, like, he shot 83% from three and took six of them. Um, he just – he had a great game. He was all over the place. But I, I, I'm with you. There's – in all of these rewatches, it's kind of been like, oh, it's Calvert Chaney. <laughs> it's like, that's been yeah. the answer for like five rewatches. <laughs> uh, I mean, this is one where I, I think there's like three to four different answers and none of them are wrong. I um, I um, I, I agree with you on five. I think Coverdale would have been a great choice. And I thought he was the best player on the court uh, in the first half. And I think it, his defense was really good, too. I mean, he, you know, obviously he's going to get beaten off the dribble sometimes, but he was a really tough physical defensive presence. But I thought what Fife brought 
early in the game, the tone that he set defensively. And then again, you know, that, that moment is just indelible to me with the score 59, 51 Gates makes the one free throw, or maybe he missed the first one, but you know, right before he's about to take the second free throw, Dane Fife kind of comes over. And I don't know if he was doing this to pump everybody up, if it was one of his little things that he was doing to get in Gates' head because he came over and he's clapping his hands right by where Gates is about to shoot the free throw. But, it, you know, it just it looked like he was, like, trying to will everybody, like, let's go. This is slipping away from us here. We've worked too hard to build this. And then the next possession, he goes down and hits that three. I mean, that, you know, we so many times we've seen guys blossom as seniors. You know, and even with the big pedigrees like a Fife who came in as a McDonald's All-American and you struggle and you struggle and you struggle. And it, just for him, it's never seemed like he's felt comfortable offensively. And then to do that and in, you know, the biggest moment of the season so far, probably the biggest offensive possession he's had where it's like, hey, we're in the Elite Eight. We need to score here to keep this going and go to the Final Four. And he steps up and drains it. It was just, it was a triumphant moment for a guy as a senior late in his career. And so... You know, even though other guys did more stuff with the counting stats, had more rebounds and assists and all that, you're right. He led the team in scoring, and I thought he had the biggest play. And he was just a leader out there. Um, and it's great to see that from Dane Fife, who really has just come into his own as a senior. So I guess the official game ball is going to Dane Fife. Chris, do you want to throw in an honorable mention vote for somebody else? Yeah, I'm going to go with Kyle Hornsby, who was nice enough to give me his jersey after the game. He threw it up to me in the stands. No. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Wait, where is that jersey from, though? This is this is the one he wore in that game. That is the actual one that he wore that's in that game. The actual one that he wore. Man, in that's game. awesome. Oh wow, yep. nice. Yep. Uh, Hornsby's kind of the more unher- unheralded uh, guard on this team, but he goes four for five, ties with Coverdale with seven assists. I mean, he's a glue guy to me. He's the he's he's kind of like the the calm uh, guy on the floor. Uh, you know, to me, you know, he he stepped in uh, and hit down, you know, hit the shots as you expected it to him. He was shooting over 40 percent on the entire season. But I think just he's one of the more unheralded guys on this team and he deserves it just as much as Fife. I think Fife's plays at key moments was was crucial. But uh, having that scoring option tonight was was huge. Yeah, man, what a game. I uh I have just so many fond memories of this this entire run that that Indiana had because I was on I was obviously on campus I think this was my this is my junior year um, and it was it was just so much fun you know and it's it's one of those and I think everybody who's gone you know who's been to Indiana I mean most obviously most people who go to Indiana certainly up until that point had experienced something like this you know and that's always my thing with the with new people who go to Indiana and go through it is I want them to just be able to experience this once, you know, a great team, a great run like this, you know, even though some of the basketball surrounding it was, you know, really up and down and there were some moments that weren't very good. Like this three week stretch was unbelievable, you know, and you like, I feel, even though I wasn't there for a national championship, obviously I feel like I got a taste of what it's like being a student there with this happening, you know? And so I just, I loved watching this game. I love thinking about this entire run because it's, easily i mean it's easily the best three weeks that i spent at iu there's just nothing can top that kind of collective emotion and everybody kind of pulling together and just everywhere you go everybody's just excited you know and there's something about a run like this especially at a school like indiana where basketball means so much it just brings everybody together and has these 
you just have these indelible emotional feelings and experiences that are just, you know, I, I don't really know what else in college can bring that. You know, so it's- yeah, I mean, I graduated in 2000. I moved to Houston in 2001 to start teaching at the time. And so this was my first season away from IU. Um, and I, I remember like trying to listen to the Indiana Louisville game that year, like on a weird, like real media player, like trying to listen to Fisher in the game. I was able to pull it up on my like, like dial up modem. It was insane. Um, but I was like, I was kind of pissed. I'm like, I, I'm like, I'm there for 15 years. And like now, I mean, I, I got the Cheney run. I got 80. I was really, I mean, I wasn't, I, I was a little bit younger in 87. Um, so I didn't fully get it, but it's like, it was like, I leave. Then this happens the next year. I mean, enough so that, yeah, I flew, I flew from Houston to, to Louisville, drove down to meet my dad for the game in Lexington. And then I flew back the next weekend just to be in Bloomington to watch the game with my parents just to watch the final four game. And then I had to go back to work on Mondays. Like I, I flew back and forth twice just to be there for it. So I was, I was downtown after we beat Oklahoma to go to the final game. Um, but yeah. yeah, I mean, it's, it, it's, it was a, it was an awesome run. And really, I mean, I have a couple hypotheticals I, w- I want to ask, but it's like, it is just crazy to think back. Like I was listening to your rewatch on Friday, how that was kind of the last sustained excellence that, you know, 92, 93, you know, that, that Shaney years team. Yeah. And then it's like, we've had two spikes since then. Like this was a spike. And then we had the spike in the, you know, uh, Zeller, you know, yeah. Oladipo years. It's like, that's it. Like, it's crazy. I think too, when, 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 you know, Dick Emberg's like, God, it's been 20, you know, 10 years since you've been there. It's like, well, now it's been 18. Like, I remember yeah. at that point thinking like, this has been a long time, 10 years. Like, this felt like forever. And it did. It did. God, I would take 10 years now. And it, it felt like it was going to last. Like, that's the thing about this run and 2013. In the moment when it's happening, it didn't feel like it was going to come and go. You know, like yeah. it felt like, hey, th- you know, because we had good recruits coming in and, and I mean, everybody's riding this high of like, hey, maybe Davis is up to the task. You know, I mean, and obviously there were imperfections and stuff and you get caught up in the moment of an NCAA tournament run. But man, it, it felt like, hey, OK, we're back, you know, and as we know, over the last you know, 25 years, it's been a series of, you know, kind of false starts and, you know, it kind of bubbles up for a short time and then comes back down. And obviously we know what happened after this. But my goodness, in the moment, it felt like. Here we go. Okay. You know, time and maybe kind of passed coach night by. And even though the way that it went down, it wasn't so good. But look at this. Two years later, you know, clearly the players were just kind of buckling under the pressure of coach night and fading at the end of the seasons. They needed more freedom on offense. Like these were all the narratives that people were talking about openly, which I don't think like, and as we get into what's aged the best and what's aged the worst, I think some of those talking points have aged the worst. Um, and it was yeah, interesting. I mean, it was interesting to hear Dane Fife talk about him too on the Hoosier Hysterics podcast because they asked him that question. You know, like, is there any any you know truth to any of that? And he's just like, it was all crap. You know, there were other reasons why this team you know won. And you know, again, obviously, we would see some of the limitations. You know, we all love Coach Davis, but we would see some of his limitations as a coach in future seasons. Um, but that was the thing about the moment, man. It felt. It felt like it was going to last, and I guess that's the other thing that has aged the worst is that feeling of optimism in the moment about this new era of IU basketball because it was built for this great moment, but unfortunately it wasn't built to last. So the first question I have kind of leads into that. I, I got three questions for you guys. Yeah. But, you know, the, the number one question is, you know, what does this team do with Knight? And, and I'm happy you mentioned, Jared, kind of that narrative because it is something that even at the time I, I was probably buying into a little bit just as like, oh, it's, it's past night by. But if you look at the, um, you know, you look at the last couple of years with Knight, the adjusted offense for Knight going in 90, starting in 97, 
26th in the country, 21st, 19th, and then 15th in that 2000 year, his last year. Adjusted defense was 71st, 75th, 54th, and 28th. I mean, that 2000 team, which was a six seed and didn't do very well, like they were 15th in the country in adjusted offense and 28th in defense. I mean, and it's it's something that Gail and I have talked about, and you see with all these you know, other podcasts, like Knight was not a straight line coach. He was a roller, more than people think. Like he was kind of an up and down guy. You had the, the 76 team and then, but then it went down. You had the 81 team and then it went down. You had the 87 team, it went down. You had the 92 stretch and then he went down. Like he was building back up for this yeah. one last run. And so I'll, I'll pose it to you guys, but I, I do agree. You start looking at the numbers, like he was building this, this team for this spot right here, you know, the things you have to understand for those who are kind of newer to this IU basketball and to assembly call is like, you know, I think the two, the two things you can add to this is like Kirk Hastings would have been on this team had Knight been there. Like that is just, I'm 90, 95% sure. And then Sean May would have come to IU had Knight been there as well. So those two are two variables that you have to add in there, but I'll ask it to you guys. My first question is if Knight is coaching this team, do they make this run and, or do they win the national title? Chris, why don't you take it first? Well, the Haston thing is intriguing. I think that's one of the more what-if situations if you had had another interior scorer who had the ability to step out because his three-point shooting blossomed that, that 2001 season and he had the, the, the skyhook shot that you know, I can still vision. How would you mind. stop this team with Haston? Good Lord. <laughs> that, that's the thing. I, yeah. Scott makes a great point that, you know, Haston, you know, just, uh, you know, loved night. You know, he's written a book about it, how much he loves Knight. And he, you know, he's so he was obviously a father figure to him. If he does stay, if they get the right draw, the one thing that I keep reminding people of who talk about this is that yeah. the draw we had was really good. We beat yeah. a really bad Utah team. We beat a UNC Wilmington team that we barely scraped by, but they had an upset. We beat Duke and then we beat a Kent State team that was riding this wave of of wins, like we talked about earlier but had no chance against Indiana. But let, and, Okay, you know, let's also remember about that Duke team. That is the only team in the Ken Palm era to be number one in adjusted offense and defense. So, I mean, right. just having to go through them makes sure, that no. road incredibly hey, tough. I, I, the, the Duke thing is, is a, it's, a, it's an anomaly, I think. You know, yeah. that, that game, all the right pieces fell in place <laughs> given the, the numbers, the, how bad we shot from three, how many turnovers we had. You, on paper, you don't win that game. But uh, to me – Yeah, it's true. I don't know. I don't know. The, the night, the night rationale there is interesting because if they do go deep, you know, Sean May graduates in 2002. He's undoubtedly going to go to IU because, you know, his dad and Knight are thick as thieves. And, and, and you know, that, that, that to me, you know, it, it, it plays in a, a really interesting like segue here, but Hastings involvement, Hastings impact in the right way with, with Davis's system could have meant the difference between being a five seed versus being a one seed that season, quite quite possibly. Yeah. You know, Chris, Scott, I would say, you know, in the moment, taking myself back to 2002, I know exactly how I would have answered that question, which is, again, as we all thought, a lot of us believed in those narratives. And I think one of the, you know, Galen has really done a great job, I think, over the past couple of years of reminding people of the flaws in those narratives which is not that the game had passed Coach Knight by. It's that recruiting and roster building, just he wasn't as into it, you know? And it's like he had gotten back into it, and this was the kind of roster that he had was building. Like, you looked, as you mentioned, before 1993, you know, it would be these five- or six-year cycles. 
And Indiana had kind of gotten out of that because these big recruits like Collier and Wrecker and Reed and all these guys end up transferring and you're trying to plug holes with Juco guys and it's just nothing fit. And it's like now you're getting the pieces back to where it's going to fit, you know, where you've got an elite player like Jeffries and you've got guys who can shoot around him. You've got the point guard that you need in Tom Coverdale. And so, look, obviously making it to the championship game, like, you know, Bob Knight never lost a championship game. So you get me to the championship game with Coach Knight, I'm taking my chances and feeling pretty good about it. You know, I, who knows for sure if they would have done it, but I think I feel much more confident now saying that they would have with the act, with the perspective of time and really understand. Because when I was in college, I didn't understand really what was all going on, but now understanding it a little more, a little bit more with the perspective of time. Um, I don't, I don't see. I, I do think there's an argument to be made that this particular group of players might have functioned better in Mike Davis's offensive system, but I feel it's easy to make that because we saw it. And that would mean what they wouldn't have functioned in the system of one of the best offensive minds in the history of basketball. Like Bob Knight wouldn't have figured out how to make an elite offense out of this. So I don't know, man. I mean, these if, players. If you look at if you look at Knight too, is like like, and I agree with you, Jared, and all that. But it's like I also think too, like maybe Davis just had that kind of you know space guys out stuff. But if you, I went back and started looking at the numbers, like every year after AJ Guyton's freshman year, he shot over 183s. The year that him and Wrecker were together, it was like AJ Guyton had like 183s and, and Wrecker had like 172. So like Knight was was moving toward that, like, hey man, if you can shoot, you got a green light. So And, and you know what really plagued those teams? What, what really plagued those teams at the end of Knight's career is you didn't have a lot of rugged, tough defensive players. You had skilled yeah. offensive guys like Patterson and Wrecker and Guyton and really good players, but they weren't, you didn't have the toughness on the other end. This group had that, and they were going to have that whether Knight was coaching or Davis was coaching. And so you combine that then with their ability to shoot. Like, you know, again, I mean, this team made it all the way to the championship game. Knight would have been hard-pressed no matter what to do that. But I, I, I think now I'm much more by that, you know, if not, I would have, I would, I would have obviously loved to see what Knight could have done with this group of players because it felt like he was building a roster much like he had previously been doing. And that was the bigger mistake over in the you know the interim between '93 and 2002. Not that the game had passed him by or that he couldn't coach today's athletes. He just had to get the right group. And this group in 2002, you know, I think that they had the right type of mindset. So, would love to yeah, be able. To- it's, it's a bummer because if you give Knight that title it changes the narrative probably even more than the 93 title because now it's like, all right, he's made a final four in like four different eras. Um, you know, now it's like the game hasn't passed him by. Now he's got four titles. He could probably retire just right then on top. You know, if, if he wins this way, shooting a bunch of threes and D, it's like we look back now, it's like, my God, he was he was not only didn't pass him by, like he's revolutionary. I mean, that is one of the things that I, I have under age the best is like, you watch this system. It's like, this is basketball today. Like, yeah. I mean, there there's guys out there. They're all spreading the court. They're passing it inside. Um, one weird corollary. You mentioned this about Coverdale. I'm watching the game. And it's like, in a weird way, as a very crazy comp, it's like Coverdale's like a real early James Harden. Like he takes a bunch of threes, he drives and gets gets to the line. That's kind of all he does. Like in a great way. I mean, the only thing is that he passes. Like Harden doesn't pass. Um, but it's like Coverdale was like an early James Harden who just took a bunch of threes and drove. Um, but yeah, I mean, if, if Knight wins with this system, we're looking back and it's like, my God, Knight, like Knight was ahead of the curve. Like Knight had, Knight won the seventies, the eighties, the nineties, and now won one with this. It's it's a it's an absolute bummer. You know, if, if you um, want to throw hypotheticals out there, I mean, if Tom Coverdale was playing as well as anybody in the I mean, he was one of the best players in the country. Yeah, so if he's point. not hurt, that was my other if, if he, he doesn't get hurt. 
now what happens? <laughs> you know, I mean, if Davis has a national championship, you know, which is we made it to the championship game, yep. and I think we all think with a healthy Coverdale, that's a much different game. You know, now how much different are things? Maybe, maybe yep. you, you took those are my last two hypotheticals. Is oh, well, if Coverdale isn't hurt, do we win? <laughs> no, no, no. They're great questions. Um, and what happens if if Davis wins the title? I mean, I I want to hear Chris's answer. I'm I'm curious yeah. how Chris would put this in the context because I, I I think things probably end similarly for like it's funny in, in one of the last pods i've done i think either with galen or the, the last rewatch like the discussion of like what happens if we win that 92 or 93 title it's kind of like probably the next couple of years are similar because knight had this kind of he kind of took off from recruiting after that that shaney years and he would have done the same if he won the title because that was his history so it's like we probably would have had the same teams for like 94 to 96 i, I kind of feel like to answer the question i i think the next couple of years kind of go the same for Davis. He just might have a little bit of like a longer leash. Um, but that that's my feel. But I want to hear Chris's take on it. Well, Galen and I actually did a podcast today and we talked about this very thing, but I'm not going to, it's a good listen. So you guys should listen to it. Um, but, uh, you know, I think about who was on this roster in terms of, you know, you had five Mr. Basketballs on this roster. You had a lot of Indiana players. You had a lot of really tough players, hard-nosed players that Knight had largely recruited. But when you get into the next era, you got the next recruiting class coming in. You got a guy like Bracey Wright. You got a guy like Marshall Strickland. It, it, you know, you get you're getting the players because Davis was a good recruiter, but also, you know, we we had just re- went to the national title game, and 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 that was going to sustain some success. You know. I don't know. I don't know if, if, if it would have made much of a difference either, because I think in the end, if you looked at his, his recruiting, it was all over the place. Davis's recruiting ability was a huge question mark to me because he would get guys that you would think come in and be instant successes. And they would, they would completely just fall apart. And then you would get guys that were on the roster that made absolutely no sense uh, you know, you 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 make us you take a stab with a guy like Patrick Ewing Jr., who has the athletic ability out the gym, but could not be a consistent scorer, and then he transfers, and then you get guys like Ben Allen from from Australia, who to me that's still one of the most the oddest recruits we've ever had, and he was a gifted player, but he didn't want to play inside, and then you get these random guys like Daryl Pigram and Justin Gray Ashley and Sim Dink and Lucas Stein these guys that make no sense on this roster. And if you look at what those rosters were made up of, they didn't have a lot of Indiana players because Davis dropped the ball. The famous story, you know, Titus talked about this recently on his podcast and it's something that Indiana people, if you don't know, it it was, it's very common knowledge that when Greg Oden and Mike Connolly were at Lawrence North high school being recruited, it was a guarantee that they were going to come to Bloomington, but Davis screwed up and addressed recruiting letters to a different player that ended up in the envelope addressed to Mike Connolly. And this was something that happened frequently and was not caught. And so I think in a lot of ways that you could argue with cream toward the end, he burned bridges in Indiana and so did Davis. And I think to me that is, is it plays a huge role in why we had a descent that really hit rock bottom, you know, in that, in that four or five season, and then we, we go through that god-awful game against Vanderbilt at home, the NIT, which is the most miserable game that I've ever been to in my life. And unbeknownst to me, I'm sitting in the same row as Gail and Clavio that I don't even know at the time. <laughs> so it, it, it was – I don't see it – we're at the pinnacle here. 
we're at the pinnacle here with a group of guys. Yep. We have several leaving. We have Jeffries yeah. departing. We have Odell and Fife graduating. We have Cub for one more season. We have Moye for two more seasons. Is it going to be – I just don't see it sustaining a lot really due to the personnel and the inability no. of Davis to recruit consistently, which is a narrative we've talked about a lot. We Our department can catch every secondary violation that we make and put ourselves on probation. We can't check the damn recruiting envelopes and make sure that the right ones go in there. Like, come on, let's get compliance with common don't, sense. Don't folks. check all of them. Just check Odin <laughs> yeah, and Conley. Maybe the maybe the. I don't give the, a shit. I don't give a shit stars. anybody else's. Yeah. Like, just those guys. Deal. Hey, the seven foot dude who's tearing it up in Indianapolis. Let's worry about him. How about just go up in person every time instead of having to use the postal service or or bank <laughs> yeah. on the fact that you 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 know. Yeah, yeah, I don't. That was that was a guarantee. They wanted to play for Davis. It's a well-known fact, and it was screwed up royally. Yeah, that's, I don't. That's the biggest one. I don't think anything actually changes with the results of the you know the next few Davis seasons if they win this game. You just wonder if it's a lot harder to move on from him when Indiana did, but it was still four or five years later. And I will also say this: I don't. I don't want to just breeze past this and say, "Oh yeah, we for sure win the title game if Coverdale doesn't get hurt." You know that Maryland team was awesome. You know, they were yeah. 32 and four. I mean, they had Dixon, Blake, Lonnie Baxter, Mouton, Wilcox. I mean, they were really going to present a lot of problems no matter what. And, you know, Coverdale did play. He played 32 minutes. Yeah. Now he was a shell of himself, you know, eight points, four turnovers, you know, obviously. And, and Indiana just really struggled to get anything going that game. Um, I was wondering, maybe AJ should have played a little more of that game. He only played seven minutes, but. Anyway, I, I don't, I don't, so I, by no means was it a given that Indiana would win, but they would have had a fighting chance with a healthy Coverdale because of how well he was playing. Um, I have absolutely no recollection of the title game because I had, I watched it at Assembly many, Hall. I was, I fell asleep at halftime in my, um, my, we had a dorm party going on in Teeter Whistler and I had way too many beers. Miller High Life, we, that our <laughs> RA snuck in for us. What a great dude. What a great role model. Uh, and I, I was, <laughs> And I'm, I'm thankfully I don't I didn't watch the second half because it would have been depressing and I would have cried. It was a depressing game. I, wa I watched it at Assembly Hall. They had a big watch party at Assembly Hall for all the students. I mean, there was so much excitement, but then by the second half, it's just like uh, we just can't get over the hump, you know. Hornsby though, man, Hornsby stepped it up in the tournament. He was four for eight from downtown in that game. Yeah. But anyway, do we hit your other? Do we hit your other hypotheticals? Do we hit them all? They're all. I got them all. So okay. In terms of what age the best, what age the worst? I know we talked about some of it with the offense. Was there anything else there that we hadn't hit, Scott? I mean, I got some random stuff. So I, I sure, still hit the love the. Uh, I love the courts. Talked about it in the last pod. I love the original courts. I'm doing the 81 title game, which is in the spectrum, which had the original courts. I, I just I love having the old courts, um, but I do like kind of having the final four having a separate court. I love Chris had the jersey up a second. I loved the era where you had the logo right up there in the neck. Had IU had the little logo above the numbers. Um, Kent State had it too in this game. It was kind of a, a pretty popular thing, but I, I like that style. I wish they bring that back. I mentioned the the three and D. I mean, I mentioned like honestly, we played a very progressive style. Like looking back, like this is how it's crazy how ahead of the curve we were on this. Um, Chris mentioned on Twitter. I was just sitting there watching the game. I was doing a couple notes, and I hear like, "Yeah, like must be the office in the background." And it's like, "Oh yeah, Steve Carell in a FedEx ad <laughs> in 2002." If you want to go back and watch, it's like the minute 49 or the hour 49 mark. It's like Steve Carell literally dressed as Michael Scott. Like I'm mean, not doing Michael Scott, but it's like just doing a FedEx ad. It's great. Um, 
My last thing is uh, I'm a I'm a fan of Survivor. I'm not gonna lie, and this is uh, a good good promo for Survivor Survivor Marquesas, which is the first time Boston Rob was on, and now they're doing the Winners at War season forty with more Boston Rob. So some good uh, some good Survivor stuff there. <laughs> Chris, what age is the best and or worst for you? It's the to me it's top two best jerseys we've ever worn. I'm kind of piggybacking on what Scott said and what I mentioned earlier. Uh, it's the last season that we have the red and white. You know, we go through this big transition where uh, Michael McNeely, our brilliant athletic director, decides to spend $400,000 to stretch the logo and tells every school that we have to wear or every team and, and program that we have to wear the exact same logo. So the oval is dead officially. Um, the jerseys are great. Um, R.I.P. Yeah, he RIP. The baggy shorts are great. It's just amazing that, you know, a guy like Coverdale is wearing a pair of shorts that are probably four times too big for him. Uh, and, a, and, a, and a very svelte Tom Coverdale, who actually um, was, was good friends svelte. with our neighbors and came over and let's just say we had a good time together. Him and, and, uh, and uh, uh, who AJ came over a few times, but the guy liked his. Whiskey. You have any artifacts from that? Ooh, I have a board. <laughs> it's funny, we have a board somewhere one of my roommates has it that was signed by everybody who ever visited our home and there are eight IU basketball players on that that I'll have to find it and post a picture of it they that would be cool it. um my, my current wife who was my girlfriend at the time um Tom Coverdale is like high on her list of like people who she's allowed to cheat with like she has hey. like a the hots for the 2002 Tom Coverdale version of Tom Coverdale how high um, is the 2002 version of Tom Coverdale on your own personal list Scott that's the question uh, as a point guard, I love him. I mean, yeah, like, uh, yeah. Uh, the other thing, you know, kind for of me, it's '96 Britney. I'm a big fan of '96 Britney and, and and O2 camera. O2 would be Cameron Diaz. That'd be the vintage of O2. I'd go. Yeah. There was a great sob commercial in the first part, like the first or second commercial break, and the guy who's at the sob dealership is a total asshole. And made me think of, and, I, and I'm not offending anybody out there. I'm not trying to, if you're a Saab owner and a great person, but the only two other people I've ever known in my life who were Saab owners were total assholes. So it just made me think of how much that, that is age. Uh, the age bad. I just, I get sad. I get so sad watching this. I think about, you know, that was, you know, we all have our time. If you were there in 87, like coach was or 81 or 76, I was hoping for this to be the moment and it wasn't. And looking back, as Scott has said, it's been 18 years. That that just makes me so sad. Mm-hmm. And that that's the thing that that I I get depressed about and think, you know, what could have been, you know, even if Davis's the rest of his entire tenure was a tank, we had that title. We wouldn't have to think about oh 87. We wouldn't have to hear about every freaking Purdue fan saying oh it's been 87, 87, 87. That to me, that to me would have been. Um, that's that's the hardest thing to think about. Really yeah, well, eighty seven is better than never. It's always an easy comeback right. to Purdue fans. Yeah. <laughs> and the Purdue fans who want to bring up the, the the national title in thirty two, it doesn't count. It doesn't count. So no. don't even go there. No. Um, one other thing that aged the best for me coming out of this game, and here to go back, Scott, to what you said earlier, kind of a hypothetical is here's what we don't know. Because what aged the best for me was the camaraderie of this team. This team they were so tight, you know, and you can even see it since. I mean, while we were doing the rewatch, Dane Fife is live tweeting the game. Jared Jeffries is live tweeting. Like we've seen pictures from, you know, meetups that these guys have had. Like there's a real, and you can tell when you hear interviews with these guys where they talk about each other, how close they all are. 
You know, I mean, Jeff Newton, George Leach are out, you know, working together. And there's just, there, there was just such a trust, such an affinity between these guys. And maybe it would have been there anyway, but you have to think that what they went through when Coach Knight got fired and how they kind of, for a time, while everything is crumbling around them, all they had was each other. You know, and look, like that stuff matters with basketball. You know, trust off the court can lead to trust on the court and vice versa. And I thought that you had a team, you know, we speak in such glowing terms of this 0-2 team and with good reason because they went to the final game. But as you said, Scott, you know, they struggled on the road. They were 25 and 12. Like this was one of those seasons that probably had Indiana fans, you know, hair and knots all throughout the season because it's like, we know the town is there. This team should be better. And they came together at the end of the season and that's what we don't know. You know, did they need what they went through to to get the camaraderie that allowed them to come back against Duke, that allowed them to beat Oklahoma with a hobbled Tom Coverdale? That's what we'll never know because, you know, that wouldn't have happened if Coach Knight had stayed there. Now, maybe they build the closeness, you know, uh, in other ways. But I, I, I love... I think that's why people love, I mean, in addition to the fact that they won these games, but watching the Duke game, watching this game, you can tell this is a tight team that really enjoyed playing together. And it's so much more fun to watch when the guys just look like they're out there playing for one another, not just for themselves, you know, and not every team is like that. Not even every good team is like that, but this team definitely was. And that to me is one of the things that has aged the best about this team, you know, in the ensuing 18 years. To you, Scott. I know you had another one. I have a couple. I have a couple age poorly, and then I'll be quick. So I know we're getting long here. Um, I did love the ads for AOL.com. That was great to see. It's funny. I had in my age poorly the sob ad. So it's funny that Chris mentioned on the pods. I'm like, I wrote down who the hell buys a sob. No offense to anybody who bought one, but it's like I know Saturn and Neon were cars at the time that I knew people who owned. But it's like I've never known anybody to buy a sob. The ads for Desk to Smoochie. I remember that. It's like I love. <laughs> yes. I love like the deep from the devious mind of Danny DeVito. It's like, I mean, the guy who was in twins with Arnold Schwarzenegger, like his devious mind. Um, we, we talked about the, uh, the old English hut to Dick Emberg. It's like, come on. Um, you know, but here, here's what I would say the kind of age. Oddly, I thought about this a little bit. This was the only year where we could have played Bob Knight in the NCAA tournament when he had Texas tech in mm. and we were in the same year, the next year, Texas tech wasn't in it. Then we weren't in it the next couple of years. And I didn't know where to put this, but just kind of just a pointing it out there. I'm very surprised the committee didn't at least put us in the same bracket, hoping that maybe some point we'd match up because that is such an NCAA bracket thing to do is to put us in the same bracket. Um, I remember thinking that at one point, like when, once they made the tournament, we did. I was like, oh, my God, what if they we were five, six? Like, what if they seated us in such a way? So just throwing that out there. But I'll, I mean, I'll say this, like I'm, I'm with Chris 100 percent like this as I watch this game. I think about like going there. I, I remember all the feelings of like going to the final four, how awesome it was. I remember watching the next game, but it's like, I can't, I think about the Duke game, but like, it's weird. They all, all of these go together with me. And that's so why I can't not think about the Maryland game. Like as I'm watching this, all I can think about is like, damn it. We were so close. We didn't get there. And then this just feels like it was all part of, you know, the, everything was in motion for us to just have a bad 18 years after this. Like everything is set up and you realize like, even if they win, I don't know if Davis is the right coach at the right time. I don't know if this is the right time for him to do it. And it's just, it's, it's melancholy. Like it's, it's awesome seeing you're like, my God, this is fun to watch. But then it's like, you just know there's a, there's a house of cards stacked up built on this. that's just not going to last. And I think that's the really tough thing to do. This is, 
is to watch this is even some of those, you know, early eighties and nineties rewatches. You're just like, man, those were good. And it's kind of like, damn, we missed this, but it's like this, this almost feels more recent. It's like, damn it. Like everything that we're dealing with now is kind of like almost birthed around this time. And that's, that's the real bummer of this is just, you kind of see like, this was the first of a lot of just bad decisions that were made throughout the time. And yeah, got to give Galen credit. He's the one who started putting me on those looking at the adjusted offensive and defensive numbers of nice last couple of years. And you're like, wow. Um, yeah. You know what, what could have been? So I don't know. It's, it's a, it's fun. It's exciting, but it's like, I can't not take the Maryland game out of it. And then I can't not take knowing what happens the next 18 years. Just be like, it sucks that we have two great moments in the last 20 years. And this is one of them. Yeah. No, you really do have to just stay in the moment when you're rethinking this, you know, and try not to think too much about what comes after it because in the moment it was spectacular, you know? Yeah. And, you're right. For so many of those big Bob Knight moments, it's like, you know, you think about the 81 team and it's like, you know, it was just sandwiched around all this greatness, you know, and it's been a lot fewer and far between for Indiana fans. But, you know, hopefully, uh, hopefully we have some more of these good times coming in the future. Well, let's get some final thoughts, fellas, and uh, get out of here. This was fun. I got to go get down to Kirkwood. I'm late getting down there for the party. <laughs> Chris, your final thoughts on Indiana's victory over Kent State? Uh, it, you know, whether we were going to be able to sustain a shooting performance like that further, you know, further on, it, it was it was nice to see the shots go down. It was nice to see a moment where everything was clicking, even at the times when we were we played poorly. We had some runs of really sloppy play, and we committed some turnovers that were ill-advised you know it was it was fun to see an IU team where everybody was syncing together where everybody was playing hard everybody was wanting this they saw what was in front of them it'd been the first time in 10 years that this was on the table and this was what a lot of those kids you know a lot of those guys on that team who were from Indiana watched those players on that 93 team and wanted to be in that situation where they couldn't get to the final four or wanted to revisit what happened in 92 with that team. Um, it, 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 it was just everything kind of fit together that season. And it, it, it was, it was a good victory over a team that was not used to losing. Um, and it was a good revenge to get back on a team that we should have beaten the year before. Well said, Scott. Yeah. I mean, you know, it's, it's just, there's so many question marks to it. You know, Jared, as you were talking about how close this team was, I think you're right. And it gets me wondering, you know, we, we do all these hypotheticals, but it's like, did this team have to go through that traumatic event of the night firing to build the to build the unit that became the team that went to the Final Four? It's like, if that doesn't happen, maybe they're not as cohesive a unit that can then get to the Final Four. It's like, there's so many question marks, you know. Of course, the question is, if Coverdell gets hurt, you know, how does Knight coach this team? Is he coaching better or worse? You know, with Haston there, like, there's so many question marks there. But, you know, overall, this this is one of those it's just such a little flash in the pan. And, and it's unlike so many of the other runs we had where everything else kind of felt like it was building up to it. Like with Zeller Oladipo, you had the year where we beat Kentucky and then we lose in the Sweet 16. It's like we come back, we're ranked number one, so we get to be all excited about it. 
you know, the, the 80, the 92, 93 team, like that was building toward it. The 87 team that was building toward it. You know, I wasn't old enough in 81, but that, that seemed to come a little more out of, out of nowhere. Um, but th- this was really just like, we had gone through the firing of night. We're all just like, what the hell? And it's like, Oh, maybe we're good. Then we got blown out in the, you know, lose to Kent state in the first round. It's like, Oh, maybe Davis, this shouldn't be the coach. Like we're, we're just so jumbled. And then it's just like out of nowhere, this run comes based on so many random factors. And then it happens. We beat Duke and it's like, my God. And then it just kind of is, it, it feels like it's just sand through your fingers. It's like, wow, that was awesome. And then it was, nothing was building up to it and nothing really built from it. It was just a insane little, little blip that just isn't, isn't standard with IU basketball, but unfortunately like it is. And, and I was thinking too, it's like, my God, this is our last elite eight game. Like, like this is, I know it is, but it's like when we're talking about trying to do Elite Eight games, it's like everything else we'd have to do would be passed before this. So, I mean, that's where it's a bummer, but I will end on the positive. I mean, Jared, you're right. Like, this was so much damn fun to live through. Like, going on a Final Four run is is awesome. God, I hope we can do it again at some point close in our lifetime because it is a lot of fun. For those of us who've been there, it'd be great to do it again. I would buy so much stuff. I bought so much junk from this Atlanta one, and I would buy <laughs> way more from the next one. Um, but no, this has been uh, it's been a blast. It's been fun seeing teams play like that. And again, I was just most surprised at how much it looked like basketball today compared to the other rewatches we've done. Yeah, it really did. I mean, it it was fun. It was a totally different experience watching this team play offense than, you know, the, the last cup or the, you know, the game that we did from the, the Louisville game in the the round of 32. And then, you know, watching the LSU game, it's such a different experience, but you know what this season was such a testament to the importance of two things. One is roster construction. It's so important to have a roster where the pieces fit together. You know, this team only had, you know, obviously it had one guy that played in the NBA, right? Yeah, only Jeffries played in the NBA. Obviously, Jeff Newton became like the best player in the history of Japan. Um, but only Jeffries played in the NBA. Coverdale was obviously a great college point guard. And then you had guys around them that filled their roles. Kyle Hornsby, one of the best role players we've seen. Dane Fife, one of the best role players we've seen. You know, Newton, Moye, Odell. This team fit together. They had that cohesion. And so you were able to have one star player, one elite talent like Jared Jeffries, and, you know, build guys around him. And they became a really good team. You know, now, was this one of the two best teams in the country? No, not given the full body of work. They made the championship game. But that's why the other big lesson from this game is you just have to make the tournament with a good team and yeah. give yourself a shot. Because, you know, Indiana, you know, co-Big Ten champions, were they 12-6 and six in the regular season? Like it was in the history of IU basketball, kind of a ho-hum regular season. But you make the tournament, you get a five seed, and, you know, what happens when you do that? Well... If you can win one big game, maybe the rest of the bracket opens up for you a little bit, Chris, like you said, you know, and so they had to go through Duke, but that's one game. And when you get in the tournament, anything can happen. And think about all the recent seasons that we haven't even given ourselves the chance. And that is unconscionable at Indiana. You know, I get, you know, we're not going to be, we're not going to win the big 10 every year and have 30 wins every year. And that's fine. I mean, Bob Knight won 30 games, you know, three times you know, and had his own ups and downs, but you got to make the tournament and give yourself a chance, you know, and that's what this team did. And that's why this team is etched into the history of Indiana basketball, because they had a good regular season, got themselves to a fifth seed, and then took advantage of the opportunities, etched one of the most epic victories in IU basketball history, beating that Duke team, coming back the way they did, and then took advantage of what came after it. 
got to give yourself the chance. You know, and you know, we just we haven't seen yeah. enough teams in the tournament, and that's where we have to get back to. You know, with Archie Miller or whoever it's going to be, is you know, you don't have to be a top ten team every single season, but my goodness, you know, at least be a team that can get yourself a five six seed at a minimum, because even when you do that, you're still going to have a chance to do something in the tournament, and if you do something in the tournament, you can rewrite the entire narrative of the season, which is what this team did. But you know, to this team's credit, it wasn't just luck. It wasn't just happenstance. They were ready for the moment. Whether it's because you know they had this incredible togetherness forged in the fires of night's firing, or just because they really came together at the right time, probably all those things rolled into one. But you know, it amounted to one of the absolutely most memorable stretches of basketball that we've had in the last twenty-five years. Something I for sure will never forget because I was there on campus to relive it. And uh, I'm just, you know, I'm, I thank this team for giving this and putting it out there because now it's in the vault. We can go back and watch it anytime. Now we can be on Twitter and you can see, you know, get Dane Fife's thoughts and get Jared Jeffrey's thoughts as the game is going on. It's amazing. And that's why these moments are so special because they never change. And every time you watch the game, 15-3 still go in and it's still as much fun and you can put yourself back in the moment and feel those emotions again which especially during this time has been especially useful. So my thanks to those guys for giving us that memory. My thanks to you guys for being here to do this show. And certainly our thanks to everybody who is listening and going on this, uh, this journey, going down memory lane. It was funny. My wife walked in. She was outside playing with my daughter while I'm watching the game. And so she comes in and she's like, because she thinks this whole thing is ridiculous. You know, she's like, I can't believe you guys are going back and watching old games. <laughs> and so she comes back in. She's like, you know, I want you to know, you know, Patrick down the street, he said he spent all day today watching old Texas A&M football games. And then Angie said, Nick, our neighbor from across the street, is going back and watching old sports games today, too. I was like, see, this is what everybody's doing to pass the time because we need our sports. <laughs> it's like, it's not that crazy. She still thinks it's crazy, but that's OK. At least now I've got some strength in numbers here around the neighborhood. <laughs> yep. All right. Well, thanks, guys. We'll be back. Um, let's see. I don't know if we're going to do Banner Monday with Mike DeCourcy. We might, uh, but we'll definitely be back for Assembly Call Ready on Thursday. And then next week, we're doing Saturday, Monday, because obviously we shift to the Final Four schedule. Saturday, we're doing the IU-UNLV game from 1987. Vintage Bob Knight coaching right there. And then on Monday, we are doing the IU-Michigan 1976 National Championship game. Uh, do you know which shows you guys are on? I'm doing Michigan on Monday with Coach and Ryan. Okay. Scott, when's your next I'm not appearance? Back, I'm not back on until the week after, which is, I think, the same three of us. Yeah, we're doing, um, we're doing for, 81, yeah. Doing 81? Yeah, which is like, I mean, every time you guys are talking about, you know, putting me and Ryan together, like, I, I feel like this is like your control. You're keeping me in a box. Like, it's like, all right, we gave, we gave you one with Coach and Ryan, and it's like, now we're just going to lock you down. Like, just Jared and Chris. Do, do like, you feel, did you feel locked down tonight? I don't want to lock you down. No, no, we, no, no, we no, want no, to unleash no, no, you, no, Scott. Good. <laughs> no, but I, I don't get any other pairings. I like you guys. Like I want well, to. Okay, so up. I didn't realize. I didn't realize I did the same pairing. I was trying to I, keep I, them I, different. I'm just, I'm just all right, totally I'm gonna, no, I'm going to look at this because no, no, I was. I was trying I'm to rotate totally all the kidding. pairings around. So we'll see. I, I like the, the coach. The coach Ryan Scott thing was fun. Seeing it coach was pretty good. Track of that. That was. <laughs> that was. You put him in a to, to start off in the first round. That's a tough first round matchup for coach. I'll say that. You 
dumbass. I know, but it was fun. <laughs> it was fun. Uh, <laughs> all right. Well, thanks, everybody, for being here. We will talk to you on another episode. You guys uh, enjoy yourselves. Be safe. Thank you out for there. doing these. Seriously, thank you for doing these. These are fantastic. These, it's been so much fun. We, I, we've both been like thinking about doing this for years and years and years, and this is all it took. Cancel the NCAA tournament, and we will pull out all of our, <laughs> all all of our ideas. Just end, end, end the world, and we can do it. Yeah, That's all you got to we'll do. doing it. Hey, but we're lucky to have this many games to do. You know, that's what I mean. Sure. Like we've had so I know the recent stuff hasn't been as good, but man, we have a great catalog of we old games to go through. Purdue A and M, you know. So. Yeah, we could be Purdue, you know, and only have Ooh. Purdue wouldn't even be able to keep going this far. Well, I guess they did. They made what two Final Fours, but you know they're not going to be able to schedule three national championship shows and still have two left over. So suck on that. <laughs> they're not going to find footage of that thirty-two classic. No, <laughs> no, no. No, they are not. But All they, right, could, they, could, they could do. They could definitely do the rewatch of the Big Ten tournament. We can't do. That's the one thing we can't. That's do. true. No, yeah, no Big Ten tournament <laughs> rewatches here. Yeah, no, no record <laughs> buzzer beater. No, no. I'm yeah. just going to take my memory of beating Nebraska and just pretend the Big Ten tournament started this year. That's probably yep. the safest safest way to do it. All right, guys, have a good night. We will talk to you all next week. See everybody. Schools, families, and government leaders are finally on alert over teen vaping. But before we can solve it, we need to understand it. One, the draw is flavors. 97% of kids who vape use flavors. Two, kids often don't know they're vaping nicotine, let alone a concentrated formula. Three, nicotine's addictive, and it's also a neurotoxin that can increase teen anxiety. Nicotine is brain poison, and flavor is the hook. Do something at flavorshookkids.org. Sticky notes, email alerts, a string around your finger. They're just not big enough. So here's a big reminder from the California Lottery. The Mega Millions jackpot is over $250 million. Play now. Please play responsibly. Must be 18 years or older to purchase player five.